The first step in getting closer to God is to realize that you need to or that you want to. And the second step in getting closer to God is to realize that it's possible. I want to encourage you to check out my book, Getting Closer to God, Anthologies from the Forefront Trilogy, Book 2. I think this will really be helpful to you in your pursuit of the Lord and help you understand what I learned over the first 30 plus years of my life as a believer, as a minister, and as a missionary in uh, a lot of the countries of the earth. Check it out. Anthologies from the Forefront, book two, Getting Closer to God. It's on Amazon. If you, like me, have been a little concerned that the focus on excellence in ministry might actually be responsible for drawing others and ourselves further away from Christ and the mission of the gospel. If you've had that concern, then you don't want to miss this conversation with Scott Shacklin. Welcome to From the Forefront podcast by FX Missions. We believe that God calls us beyond where we are, equips us for the unforeseen, and gives us the victory, even if we don't ever see the victory ourselves. As I mentioned in a previous episode, there's some changes coming. More about that next month. But if you haven't already, make sure to check out my other show, The Leader's Moment at leadersmoment.org. But why should you be interested in this episode with Scott Shacklin? Maybe all of our focus on excellence is actually getting in the way. It's easy for us to get distracted by so many things, performance, programming, visual design, experiences, worship as a rock concert, and even the overarching form of the church. Isn't our real call, though, to love God, live the truth, and minister to people? That's why there's value in conversations that actually highlight the tension between all these things. Our goal on this show is to highlight what God is doing and figure out how to improve our collaboration with Him. Hi, Scott McClelland here for FX Missions Podcasting. Thanks for being with us. Pretty excited today to have a guy from like way back, at least in my life. He's not way back in general, not like other centuries or anything, but in my life, I think I knew you before I ever reached my teens. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Scott Shacklin. Hi, Scott. Hi, how are you? I think it was before I reached my teens, but it would have been right about that time. Yeah, it was a while back, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we, of course, were next door neighbors or, you know, maybe two doors down type neighbors in a place where rural and remote is what I would call it, Scott. Would you say that? That's a pretty good description. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when we first moved there, there was one red lot in town. Actually, it was a four-way stop when we moved there, and then it became a red lot. Do you remember what year it was you moved to beautiful Buna, Texas? I do. 1968. I was three years old. My word. Yeah. Yeah. See, I never remember it being a four-way. <laughs> I don't remember much about it, except my brothers had mentioned that when we first moved there, it was. But yeah, it was a red light as long as I can remember. Man, that's back in the day right there. 
Do I remember right that one of your brothers played trumpet? First of all, that would have been me. My older brother, Corky, also did. Everybody kind of made their run through band. But he ended up on baritone, and I played trumpet as well. I just remember someone could play the trumpet a couple of doors down, and I think it was you guys. So that's a faint memory at this point, probably 45 years later or close to it. So I think that was me, and I want to apologize now for that. (laughs) (laughs) I was no worse off for it, I can promise you. I do remember that. And I remember your family, uh, and you had a number of brothers. I think there's four in your family. Is that right? Yeah. Total four boys, no girls. Yeah. 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 I've got three daughters. So I know the flip side. Of course, all of them are grown now, but I really appreciate you being here. And I I had listened to your podcast the other day and it inspired me to kind of want to spend some time with you on a recording because I think we have something of a shared concern over something you were voicing. And we'll put some links at the end of the podcast to your podcast so that folks can easily find it and that episode and others as well. But there was a quote that you mentioned, and of course, we're just kind of a little bit of a disclaimer here, guys, where this might be a sticky subject, something maybe you haven't heard of or thought about. And I think this is a legitimate concern. And for that reason, I wanted to dig into it. Scott, we're talking about the trend in the church, if you will, over time. I guess that would be a safe enough assumption. (laughs) Yeah, over time, that is caused a little bit of concern enough for you to to voice it on your podcast. It started with a quote, I believe. Do you have that quote there? I do. And just to tell you, I saw somebody tweeted this, and it was kind of a partial quote. And I started trying to hunt it down. And I noticed this, there's quite a few people out there that have given themselves credit or plugged it into their sermons. But I finally was able to hunt it down to Richard Halverson, who was a chaplain, I think, with the Senate. And what he said was, in the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. Mm. Some powerful words. Let that sink in for just a moment. Very powerful words. And I think it would be hard to escape the validity of those comments. Yeah, I think so. Wow. That's penetrating. Well, I don't know how long ago that was or who and how people responded, but I think it'd be hard to escape the reality there. You kind of unpacked this a little bit on your episode. Now, let's talk a little bit about your background as someone who might be qualified to speak on the subject. If I remember right, I remember your family and principally your dad and mom. They're in ministry in town at a local missionary Baptist church. And I think as a child, I'm pretty sure I went to your church at least one time. You know, who knows how many years ago, but we probably dragged you there. You know, we were always (laughs) inviting people and there's a good chance or it could have been, you know, VBS. And one of the things about Vacation Bible School that If people have not grown up in a small town, I don't think they realize what a blast that is because nothing else is going on. So I was always inviting friends and stuff to that. My dad was the pastor of our church in Buna, Buna Missionary Baptist Church, and they're part of the Baptist Missionary Association, which is a pretty conservative group. In fact, they were part of the landmark Baptist movement. I grew up thinking the Southern Baptists were a bunch of liberals. I mean, it was a really very conservative church. 
my uncle was a missionary in Australia. There's a lot of ministry in our family. And my mom was, uh, she was a nurse, but she was always, you know, witnessing to people, talking to people. I remember she would sometimes stay after her shift, even at, at the hospital to pray for folks. And she was a good preacher's wife, but she was a good Christian, good person. Yeah, absolutely. I remember her as such. I surely do. Yeah. I guess by the time you got here, your folks were already in ministry when you arrived. Yeah, that is correct. Grew up a PK. Mm -hmm. Your first time to church was when you were old enough to take from home and straight there, I guess. I've got to guess it was in the first two weeks of my life. I've never actually asked of that question, but we didn't miss. I remember even we went on vacation one year in Florida and we found a church down there and went. We did not miss church. So my guess is mom was out of the hospital and we were all the way to church Sunday morning. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't far from that if that wasn't the case exactly. You've been around uh, the stump a little bit, as they say, in rural Southeast Texas when it comes to church stuff. I've heard that particular quote or renditions of it, even one by fairly prominent ministry in our times, basically espousing the validity of this concern. Is it just a part of what is dominant in our environment, do you think, that sort of enforces this idea? Is commerce the last and final stop of all truth and validity? Well, you know, it certainly feels that way. I've thought about this a lot. I really do believe in the saying, you know, that all church is local. Even when I think back as a kid, you know, you know Buna was pretty insulated from the world in general. You know, I mean, my dad was our pastor and he, you know, if the neighbors that had cows were out of town, he wouldn't milk the cows. I mean, it was a real servant. We didn't talk politics a lot. It just seems to me the more, I, I don't know if it's because of people are so connected now that it's, you know, it just feels like our churches have moved. It's all competitive. I mean, if you, if you go visit a church, they're selling to you from the moment you walk in. You walk in and they're, they're already telling you, oh, look, we have the best nursery. This is, look at all the things we have for the children here. And we have the, and it's not that those things aren't important. I mean, you know, if you've got kids or whatever, you want to know that they're being cared for during the service. But it's like visiting a, you know, business where they're showing you their, their top-notch stuff. And it can be off-putting. I don't have a problem with nice buildings and things. In fact, I, the, the some of the churches I've gone to over the years, the Episcopal churches are gorgeous. I mean, they're beautiful churches, and I love the atmosphere. But something happened in the 70s or 80s where these televangelists really got more and more ingrained in our culture, and it turned into a moneymaker. And I'm sure it predated them, but certainly by that time, we were seeing, you know, send your money in so we can build this, send your money in for blessings, send your money in. And, and, and I mentioned this on the podcast. This is not new. The Pope was selling, shorten your time, your, your loved one's time in purgatory, right. you know, by giving money. So I guess it's always kind of been a power move or something. But certainly now, when you look at churches, it's, you know, it's like going to a concert. It's fancy. It's very upscale and sometimes the true message can get lost. Right. Yeah. I read somewhat extensively. I think about a, one of the business guys that I've read a lot, and sometimes I quote a guy named Peter Drucker. Excellent guy. Very, very accomplished consultant. And one of the things that he said, I'm going to do a terrible job. He said, you know, basically, if marketing is done properly, 
you know, sales become less necessary. And I think what we're seeing is a rise of marketing, all of the communications, the very slick and highly polished stuff that is attached to the message of the gospel or churches or those kinds of things. Like you say, we've got the best fill in the blank, (laughs) right? We got the best fill in the blank. And if you're shopping for fill in the blank, then you should certainly come and check out our fill in the blank. That is marketing. It's being present is communication. It's also a concern and I think a dehumanizer in a lot of ways. Like you're saying, all church is local. That's about the individuals who are you're connected with and the people that you get to know and get some level of depth with over time. And this other thing seems to me to be a competing force of sort of identification or identity is trying to basically say, no, this is what this is all about. (laughs) Not the humans, not the people, not the relationships. And uh, that's a big concern to me. Yes. Yeah. What are some of the steps that come to mind for you that folks could use? Keep in mind, there's probably a, a good bit of church people on this podcast and probably some church leaders and those that are involved in those efforts. What are some steps that you think we can take that would help us slow our roll or examine ourselves there to see if this is something we need to, you know, I need, what can we do? Well, it's a good question. And, you know, I think back of, I'm going to butcher this scripture. I'm going to try my best. Jesus said at one point, if I be lifted up, I will raise I will. all men to me. Yeah. Draw all men to me. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes when I think about a church, if you have to work that hard to sell something that's not what you're there for. I mean, to me, the church is like a hospital. People go there who are seeking a safe place to heal and to really find a place to belong and to really have a community where they can worship or where they can, you know, spend time in fellowship. And churches aren't really marketing that. I don't see a commercial where they say, we're looking for the downtrodden. We're looking for the homeless, the whoever, you know. Yeah, and right. To me, if your church is so flashy and so amazing and has the best band or whatever that I decide to go there for those reasons, I'm probably going to find another church in six months that's a little better, you know, and go there. It's when you're touching people's hearts. It's when you're really reaching in and meeting them where they are. I think that needs to be the focus. And I mean, when I go to a place where it looks too perfect, you know, my first thought is, well, it ain't perfect anymore because I'm here. (laughs) Me too, me too. Yeah, it just feels too, you know, and I went and visited a lot of different churches over a period of time. It was kind of fun for me. I love to watch and observe how people worship and try to relate to God and try to understand. And so what I did is every Sunday, I'd go to a different church. Mm. I even had a website at the time. I thought it was clever, The Gospel According to Austin. (laughs) I know, I know, but it sounded cool at the time. But I would go to a different church, and then I would write about the experience. and. It was interesting to me because I got to see the contrast. And there were some places, some of the more polished churches really didn't seem to have much of a heart. People didn't really talk to each other. or they I mean, they had maybe a couple of friends or whatever. And then some of the ones that were more less polished, they really were people just gathering, trying to figure this out, trying to figure out how to be good people and how to take care of each other. 
you know, those are the ones that I felt like, you know, I could be a part of this because, you know, this is a place where it's flawed people who are willing to show their flaws. You know, you don't have feel like you have to come in and not let people see the real you. Yeah. There's a difference between we're putting on a show for you and we're bringing you in because we want to welcome people anywhere they are in their lives, whether they are in a really good place spiritually or whether they're in a really bad place. It makes sense what you're saying. I think one of the thoughts that comes to mind for me, and I don't know where this comes from in terms of attributing it to the right person, but somewhere along the line, I heard this saying, the higher the gloss, oftentimes, the thinner the veneer. So a lot of places, I think that kind of speaks to what you're saying. You know, a lot of the high gloss, high polish, high shine, you know, indicates a very thin veneer that is going to lack depth or sincerity. For quite a while, I've had a concern about how every worship service, and what I mean when I say that is the singing time, I think generally people call it a worship service, but the time that's specifically set aside for singing, it seems like there's nearly a universal concertification. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It is a concert. I don't remember it being that as a child. And obviously over time, things change and that's not always bad. I'm not trying to say everything about that is maybe sinister, but it is a concern to me. And I think it's universally observable in so many places these days. I think so. You know, I love beautiful music. There's no doubt. And you can really be lifted up. But probably the best worship service I've went to in the last 15 years was a U2 concert, of all things. It was shocking how, I mean, they had prayer time. They had the music, it was very moving. They talked about a lot of social issues. Mm. And I was like, this is like a, a worship. And I was in a Houston Texans stadium, you know, at this thing. And and it was so shocking to me. But I think because I wasn't expecting that. But, you know, what I have found in my experience is that a lot of churches, when people go, the goal of the service is to make people happy, which is not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when people go and they get that joy fix and there's no depth to it, what happens is then when you leave, there's a big letdown. Yeah. You know, you step into Monday where your life is back to what it was. And it's almost like when the kids go to church camp and they get so high on everything. And then when yeah. they get back about three weeks later, they're right back where they were. You know? But that can be addictive. You know, you have that high and then you go low and then you come back for that high again. And then I think what happens is people don't realize that they don't even know what they're seeking anymore. Right. Because instead of seeking relationships or seeking a, a spiritual depth, they're just trying to get through their day. But that's where if the church recognizes that and says, oh, people are coming in that are hurting all week and they're here to get that joy. How can I give them a more complete joy, something that they can carry out and carry with them? It just seems to me that's what I often see we're missing. And you know, the enterprise part of that quote, of course, is even worse because that's where it becomes a well-oiled machine of a business, you know, to make sure that people are given the money. And again, it's not new. I guess anytime an organization is organized and has power, there's always that risk. Yeah. But, and I don't mean to pick on all mega churches. I haven't been to that many, but 
it's overwhelming almost to just walk in and see all the, there's a place here in town, I won't say the name of the church, but this church here in town that I visited and they have the Holy Grounds Coffee Shop, which is a clever name. I'm not putting that down, (laughs) but it's like a Starbucks inside there and everybody's carrying their Starbucks into the main auditorium. And that's what I'm going to call it, not a sanctuary, where it has stadium seating and actually cup holders like you're getting ready for a movie. And and I don't think everything should be the way I grew up. But if you think about the concept of people sitting in pews and, you know, greeting and hugging each other and all this, and then the switch is you're in this place that has stadium seating and armrest and everything. And I like to have my room too, but you can't even really turn around and talk to people. I mean, you really are coming in, almost having an individual experience and then leaving. Yeah. And highly what would you say, rehearsed and all that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the lighting, spotlights. and Yeah, the whole kit. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, that's very true. That's been a concern of mine over time. I'm kind of like you, obviously, in some ways, very much like you. We grew up in the same very small town, which for me, I lived in that area until I was 30. And then I left and I went to a bigger city area. I had a different, a little bit different experience there. Then I left and went to an even bigger city area. I had a different kind of experience there, kind of a bigger church environment, all those kinds of things and different options. And then finally, I moved to DFW, which could be Mecca when it comes to churches and the like. And I remember fairly recently, I had an experience where I went to kind of a mega church that you're describing. Absolute stadium seating. Every chair is trained on on the stage, you know. You know, they have this particular, this is not too uncommon these days, but this particular ministry or whatever had this two or three of the same meeting done at different times on that morning. Do you think you get the same thing? You know, it's kind of a cookie cutter kind of experience, I think, sometimes. Not to say that nothing good happens. Obviously, if God works through men, he knows what he's dealing with when he's looking at me. I'm full of weakness myself. I'm not trying to be critical, but it is a thing that makes you wonder. And coming from a little small town where there were 50 people on a good weekend, on a well-attended Sunday, let's say it that way, you know, and then there's in this particular church I was talking about, there was maybe a thousand per meeting, you know, and they're extremely rehearsed and just boom, 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 recycle, another set, boom, 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 recycle, another set. That to me is, I feel like there may be a lot that we're losing in that, especially from a depth and an intimacy standpoint with God or with each other even, you know. And then they've created for themselves the pressure because once you put it out there, you know, then you got to perform every Sunday because people expect it. And suddenly every sermon has to be, you know, have the right number of jokes, the right number of points, the right number, you know, it's, it's got to just land perfectly. And there's a particular pastor here in town. Actually, I don't mind mentioning it because they're a really good church, Riverbend Church, and he's good. But he has a way of you feel engaged with them. I wonder if he came out and gave a real flat, boring, you know, because everybody has their days. You know, when people think, well, what happened to him? I came here for, you know, I came here to get pepped up or, or have a good speech. And so it's, if the church doesn't help people understand what the purpose of coming is, then you can't blame those people for 
not understanding either. And so if you've laid out up front this entertainment style, then people think it was a really great service and they may have never been moved. I know people that have gone to church their whole life and they're mean as they can be and they're cranky and they don't seem happy. But I'll tell you what, they'll tell you what church they go to. They're very proud of it. And I'm like, but what's it done for you? Right. You know, and also it becomes kind of a bragging point. I go to such and such church. We're the second largest church in Dallas or whatever. Right, right. And it's really funny. I love my brothers to death, but one of them, he goes to a, a really large church up there near you. Sometimes he will send a video from the green room because they have a green room that's off stage. And I'm like, I don't know if he ever gets the joke. I'll always write. So I'm glad you have time to take videos during church, you know, and they had a huge Christmas extravaganza. It was huge, gorgeous, by the way, but they had live camels. I mean, literally live streaming it on Facebook. They had live camels, live animals and all this stuff. And then at the end, Santa comes down from the ceiling on a sleigh. So I told him I didn't remember Santa being in the, in the manger seat. Yeah. I, where was he in the nativity piece? You know, it, it's a beautiful service. But honestly, you got to wonder, is that the best usage of all that money? I'm not one to tell churches what to do with their money, but I think a lot of people feel when they give, they're given to a ministry. And when you're giving to a ministry, is it really ministering to people? You know, and you probably heard me talk about Kenneth Copeland on the particular podcast I did. And I mean, he's worth $750 million. How much is enough? And then he gets real, because I saw an interview where they asked him about his private jets, and he got ugly about it. Very defensive. Oh, my. And I'm like, okay. I mean, you've dedicated, allegedly dedicated your life to service of God and his people. You're worth $750 million, you know. And I'm not saying rich people are bad or anything like that. But that money was made in the name of God. And I'm not sure that's, you know, it was really God's intent however you see God, we can have that discussion another day. But I'm not sure it's the intent of our Creator that people make money in His name, make a living. I mean, my dad had to, although he also had two other jobs. He was a bivocational pastor, I guess trivocational in some cases. But sometimes you have to ask yourself, you know, if somebody has made $750 million selling Jesus, are they selling the Jesus that we read about in the Bible that these disciples died for. I just can't imagine Peter or the Apostle Paul or any of them, if they saw the way Kenneth Copeland lived, that they would be like, oh, yeah, that's what Jesus was going for. You know, <laughs> I see this right here in the Gospels. It's written in red, right? Private jets for everyone. Well, you raise a good point. I appreciate you taking some time to explore this with me. We're going to point people back to the podcast where they can get some more of the remarks that you shared on the session that kind of inspired me to talk to you. I really appreciate you being here. And I think what we're saying just in summary is, why are we doing this? And what's it producing? Turning the church into a business, you know, and I think there was some pretty straight talk from Jesus himself, where he says, you've turned my house into a marketplace. And he had what I think is his most violent recorded reaction in the scriptures to that fact. So I think we got to ask ourselves, what are we doing and why are we doing this? And what are the outcomes it's producing? I think that's valid questions that you helped me understand as you raised this 
in your own podcast, Scott. And I really appreciate you being here. It's so good to see you after we're both different people. <laughs> good to see you too. Yes, we are. We're a little bit older. We're north of 50, both of us. And I remember when I moved in, I was seven when I moved in next door to you guys. I think you're five years older than me. Or What year were you born? 69. Okay, I was born in 65, so I'm four years old. Okay, four years older, yeah. So the older we get, the closer that is together. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it's, you seemed like Keith's little brother back in the day, but now you don't really seem that little. So. Yeah, I'm taller than he is now, not to mention other dimensions that have seen him. Mostly around, I think, is the biggest one. I've added a few. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful to see you and talk to you. All the best to you and to your ongoing podcast efforts. Thanks for being here. And we'll point people to your podcast for further information. Really, thank you for being here, Scott. Talk soon. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. As did I. All right. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Big, big thanks to Scott Shacklin for joining us. I really appreciate his willingness to have the hard conversations. Obviously, in hard conversations, tension can be highlighted and sometimes even created, which isn't always a bad thing. If there's something that grabbed your interest or really stuck out to you, made you wonder about this tension in the conversation that we had with Scott, Please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you to get your scan. Scott at fxmissions.com. Send me an email. And like I mentioned, I'm going to have a big update for you next month regarding some changes. Make sure not to miss that and look forward to seeing you downrange. Thanks for being with us. If God spoke to you today, we'd love to hear about it. Click through to the episode notes on your podcast app. Choose the link for your favorite social media platform and share it with us there. And if you've not done this already, follow the show in your favorite podcast app at fromtheforefront.com slash follow. Click the link in the episode notes, choose your favorite podcast app, and follow us there to get every episode for free.